Welcome back to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kelly Quinlan here with an ailing Russell Johnson who's recovering from oral surgery and is not his uh, not bringing his A game today. He's, he's got the, he's like a pitcher with a sore arm bringing that C game today. But uh, we're gonna try to limp through this one. And uh, obviously, disappointing performance for the Jackets on the flats. They look like crap on all phases of the game in the first half. Um, weren't helped by the zebras at all on some key plays in the game and, and some non-holding calls and it ended up um, really getting whomped by Pitt. Uh, you know, Russell kind of, you got to watch it on TV, which I'm sure was a little bit different. Um, any kind of lasting impressions from that game to you? Um, no, I think you kind of, you kind of covered that pretty well. Um, it wasn't the, I think the, the two turnovers, I mean, you could, you could write a story on just how that kind of defined the whole game. The, the two turnovers early on and um, it kind of took the the wind from the crowd. It, you know, it just, it changed the whole, the whole, um, the game. I mean, it changed the game. It changed the atmosphere, it changed the environment. Um, it, it, the crowd never really was able to get into the game, even though you know, I believe the game started with a stop, didn't it? Didn't they? Yeah. Didn't they, they punted on their first and then position? they punted. Yeah. And then, um, Sims through the pick. I think it was the third or second play of the game. They got a first yeah. down and then they had Nate McCollum wide open for probably a touchdown. And the guy shoots through the gap, gets his hand up and tips the ball and it gets picked off. And, you know, and then the same thing basically happens again the next time around where he just got crunched as he was throwing the football to another wide open guy down the field. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's what happens. You play him with a guy who's never played really other than special teams and, and Paula Viapolo um, at left guard. And you had Nick Penley playing right guard for the first time ever, really. And, uh, you know, not really totally healthy either on his part. And, you know, got handled inside. And, um, you know, Jordan Williams, not 100%. So you, you three of your guys were, were not 100% at least I'm sure Devin and Devin Cochran and Mike Minahan are not hundred percent at this poison of the season either. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I look at it as, uh, you know, you're going to have some clunkers here and there. They picked a bad time to have a clunker and the turnovers killed them and yeah, throw that tape out and you move on to the next game. It sort of sucks because they had all the momentum going their way after playing pretty well, especially on defense for four straight games. And, you know, you look ahead to this Duke team um, this week, who's in the past given this particular coaching staff issues at both Temple and at Georgia Tech. And even last year, to be honest with you, if you watch that game, I think it was Chase Bryce that was their quarterback last year. Um, yeah. Just missing throw after throw to like wide open guys down the field uh, as they loaded up the box to, to stop the run. And, you know, there were plays there that their quarterback just flat out missed because he was so poor. Uh, playing so poorly so it'll be interesting these are two you know teams Georgia Tech certainly has a I would say talent advantage this week um, significantly I would say they're you know better defensive team but geez you know cut cut can coach man and you're playing in the mausoleum of uh, Wallace Wade Stadium and you just like you got to bring your own juice it's going to be kind of crappy yeah. weather like, It'll feel like 2020 a little bit. It'll be almost empty. Yeah, I'll only be curious essential, to see. Only essential I mean, fans. 
I mean, I was looking at the forecast and it's supposed to rain. Like, um, you know, that's certainly interesting. Um, yeah. Um, but 70% you know, chance of rain right now on Saturday for the game. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, like, I, I think as in every week of uh, doing this, everybody can beat everyone on the schedule, basically, uh, except for, except for, except for UGA right now. I think, you know, Georgia Tech has a chance in every single game and they could get beat every single game the rest of the season. So it depends on which Georgia Tech team shows up. Like, what's That's their fair. what's their pride level look like you know like um can they bow up and and stop um duke's rushing attack and and right get some hits on their quarterback if they do those things then they have a really good shot at winning the game if they don't they're in a lot of trouble again yeah no i think but you know with duke it, i think it, it starts and stops with you know their running back i think it's mateo durant yeah, mateo durant and um you know being able to to contain him you know, in the past past years with, you know, backers defenses, they've struggled in terms of stopping the run, whether it was, you know, Pitt scat back last year. There were a couple other occurrences as well. Um, but just being able to contain Durant and, uh, you know, get them in the, uh, you know, second and long, third and long situations. And that's where you kind of put Duke in a little bit of a, a pickle because, you know, they're they, in my opinion, they don't want to throw the ball down the field. Like that's not what they're trying to do. They're no. going to try to get the ball to Durant. They're going to try to get him in space, whether it's outside, whether it's inside. Um, the double teaming defenders, depending on how Thacker ends up lining up the front, um, it's just going to be um, like you know you always say it's going to be interesting to see you know how that that kind of lines up. Um, you know, there's everybody could talk about X factors and key positions and everything. At the end of the day, I mean, Georgia Tech's season, in my opinion, comes down to the trenches. You know, you saw what can happen. Like you talked about a little bit. Uh, when the offensive line is struggling with with health and with inexperience, and then you get to the um, the defensive side of the ball, they were unable to generate pressure against Pitt, and it cost them because Pickett had damn near the game of his life. Yep. And and you know this week you could see the same thing with Duke's quarterback if they're unable to get pressure, and if if Sims doesn't have time to throw the ball and they can't establish a run game with Gibbs, Mason, and Smith. I mean, that's things are going to could get hairy quickly. I think they're going to be healthier in terms of the offensive line. That's just my, my read on it. You know, Ryan Johnson was able to play a lot in the second half of that game. Uh, hopefully Kenny Cooper's healed up enough from being out you know, to, to, to play. And hopefully Jordan Williams and Penley and whoever else can, can go. If they can get some guys back, I think that makes a huge difference. You know, there's two guys you have to worry about in terms of their past game, Duke, Jake Bobo, and, and Jalen Calhoun, who was a one-time Georgia Tech target. Um, you know, really, other than that, it's, it's really about Mateo Durant and shutting down that run game. It'll be interesting to see how they do. They've played the run pretty well this year, as you said, and uh, what defensive, you know, to me, uh, to be honest with you, I wouldn't even be shocked if they came out in a four three um this week, not even a three three five. Like I could even see them doing that. That's something that they did at Temple. Some uh you have the three linebacker things working, get another defensive lineman in there and get some pressure and take your chances on the outside with with your safeties or whatever your matchups are. But we'll see what, what Andrew Thacker's cooked up. I really don't have any uh total clue about it. We don't see like scheme practice stuff so i couldn't even tell you even if i did know so um 
maybe there'll be more multiple too. Uh, yeah, that was something else I found weird in the last game that they didn't go back to the even front after things were going so poorly, getting moved around on the line of scrimmage early in the game um, on defense. But it was just bad. Yeah. It, it, I, you know, how many teams you know of like win games when they throw a pick six? It's like getting a kick blocked. Georgia Tech winning that um, North Carolina game was amazing because teams' records with when they get like a punt or a field goal blocked is really bad. Like, and um, they managed to pull that out. So I I don't know. I think this is where you start to learn more about the coaching staff too, and like how they deal with adversity and and getting guys ready to deal with adversity. That's that's a big part of all of this as well. And guys not playing well and, and having to test your depth. And you talk about ATL philosophy. Let's see it, right? Like you have guys struggling. Um, you have guys who are ATL who haven't played as much, but the guys in that have haven't played as much give them a shot at it. Like I think they need to they need to shake things up a little bit. Maybe this is a week where you see a little bit of that as well. Um, or especially in the back half. Yeah, I mean the back half of the defense is is really struggled. You've had Zamari Walton who's been banged up all year. Tobias Oliver had played pretty well. Did he had a horrible game against Pitt? Um, you know, the safety thing we've talked about kind of ad nauseum on Jackets Online. Uh, you know, I'm not quite understanding what, what the philosophy there is at times. Um, so, you know, hopefully you start to see Jay King play a little bit more. And, um, you know, even some other guys like uh, Miles Brooks, like give them some burn and see what happens. And so we'll see what happens. I mean, there's still guys we haven't really seen much of this year too that I thought would be contributors like um, you know Kenyatta Watson or or uh, Keena Johnson or um, you know Miles Brooks who's played a little bit now um, and they got a lot of guys banged up too on the defensive side and offense at this point in the year they need the bye week really bad so if they can get out of the Duke game with a win you reset yourself and you go up to you play the two Virginia teams back to back and then go to Miami and, and to close out the coastal part of your schedule. And you have an opportunity to maybe put position yourself for a bowl. Um, if you can go, you know, uh, you know, two and one here in this stretch, ideally you want to win all three games, you know, like, or sorry, four. So you want to go three and one or, or four and oh, yeah. if you do those things and you're going bowling and, it's, you know, peaches and cream, sunshine and hot dogs and whatever, <laughs> however you want to put it. But if you go, you know, one in three, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, people are going to be pissed. And then that UGA game at the end of the year is just going to be ugly. I think you have to pray for like a monsoon or some really bad weather because that's just a really bad matchup for them right now. I was joking yeah. with somebody today that they should bring Paul Johnson back for the Georgia game to like secretly and have them run the triple to just give them something they haven't practiced against to have a hope of like moving the ball against that defense, the way they're playing right now. But maybe uh, UGA will have some issues between now and then you never know. But, you know, as you look ahead, that's going to be ugly. So you need to get your dubs now before you get into the last two games of the season, which will both be really hard games at Notre Dame and, and probably miserable weather. And then Georgia the last week, who's um, got the most dominant defense in college football right now. So those are not what I would call favorable situations for you. No, not at all, especially you know, like you're talking about the UGA game. Um, I think the, the Notre Dame game is a little bit more 
of a, an attainable game. That's just one where you have to play your your best football, you know, mistake free. Um, you know. Yeah, that game, what worries me about Notre Dame and, and even Boston College before that is, um, you know, one thing that I've noticed with the defense over the last, really, even going back before um, Jeff Collins and his staff got here, they've really struggled covering tight ends for whatever reason. And that's Notre Dame's like bread and butter is like attacking with with Michael Mayer and and even Georgia's really gotten into that in the and recently and I uh, and Boston College of course is another team that's big and physical like Pitt that throws their tight end so yeah. those things concern me about those matchups a lot more than um, than looking at uh you know what um say Duke does or Virginia. Virginia would be really weird because they just throw the ball like 80% of the time. Um, yeah, they don't have a very good run game. They have the weirdest run game in, in college football. It's sort of bizarre, like how they can't find a running back there. But, you know, you look at this Duke game, it, it's going to be interesting. It's a big game for for the staff, quite frankly, because you're going to be on the road for two weeks. If you can win these next two games, you can get people to start showing up again in the stadium for – Virginia Tech and and uh, Boston College. If not, those games are probably going to be ugly. And then, of course, the Georgia game will be ugly. So right. Um, well, yeah. And then another thing that you know, this game and the the importance of it uh, going into the season, a lot of people would have thought that Georgia Tech would be three and three going into the bye. Yep, which they you know, are. If they're, a- if they're are. able, if they're able to pull off the Duke game and, and win the Duke game, do what they're supposed to do. I believe they're favored. So, I mean, if they do that, they'll be three and three. They'll be 500. You know, going on the road and recruiting next week. We'll be on the road probably all, all not all week, but several multiple back days half of the, of the week, week, probably. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they'll be, you know, examining and evaluating kids and, and, and doing that kind of stuff. But doing it, you know, at three and three is a little bit different than doing it at two and four. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, the, the negative recruiting about you know Jeff and and, and Georgia Tech is, hasn't stopped and, and it, it probably won't stop even if they do win this game but you know if they if winning this game against Duke it's kind of showing what the expectation is because it, it was many fans on the message board my gosh you would you would think they were fans of a 10 win a year program <laughs> they, they they expect to beat Duke every year it's just an expectation it's and that's something to that could be possible, you know, down the road to have that kind of expectation with certain teams. But right now, Georgia Tech needs to just gain week to week consistency. And, you know, so far, you know, I know the stat, we talked about it last week, how they, they've never won two games in a row under Jeff Collins. Um, but being able to, to do that, I'm not sure if it would count if they won this game Saturday and then, you know, won following the bye week. But I mean, it, it would count probably on on our end yeah i think Um, it counts but yeah you know like it's just you gotta win games man like you can't win three games at georgia tech in a year and you know the back half of the schedule gets ugly this is your workable part of your schedule is october so you need to be taking advantage of that and when most of us looked at the schedule this is the part of the schedule where you make or break your bowl game right because you played yeah you have five games in, in October because the way the month falls, you play Pitt at Duke. Um, I'm sorry, four game, four games because the I forgot about the bye week. Four games. You have Pitt at Duke at Virginia and then Virginia Tech the um, uh, day before Halloween. So 
uh, to me, like you got to take care of some business here and, and show that you've made some strides as a program more than anything. Like at a certain point, you, you know, talk is talk and, uh, people want to see like a, a developed product and, you know, you had so much consistency with, with, you know, O'Leary after he got going and, um, you know, Chan and then Paul Johnson, you know, winning a lot of games, competing for the Coastal is what we talk about, right? Like, that's what they should be doing. It's not like they play in the SEC West. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, it sucks you play Clemson but uh, and Georgia every year, but you play other games that are all very winnable the rest of the year. So take care of those games and put yourself in a position to be um, a competitor. And, and that's the expectation. It should be Jeff's expectation. It should be the fans expectations, you know, bowl game is not an unreasonable expectation of Georgia tech winning 10 games is so, you know, it falls somewhere in the middle, like what you should expect. But I think the, the baseline is going to a bowl game and they've had three years to build this up. You need to be progressing towards that at least. And as I've said, being a year, you know, five to seven wins to me was progress. So if you can get in that range, uh, and, uh, you know, and I've thought since they lost the NIU game that that was going to be the one that kept them out of a bowl game. Like, I just was like, you know, that's the most Georgia Tech thing ever. They would lose that game and then win, you know, five games and not go to a bowl game. But so be it. If that happens, I think people will live with that, you know, uh, as long as they're playing well. And assuming they don't get like completely bludgeoned 80 to nothing by Georgia at the end of the year, because that will kill some of the goodwill as well. They got to figure out how to to not make that um, – you know, a Vanderbilt-esque beatdown. Yeah, yeah, they'll, uh, <clears throat> it'll have to be, you know, kind of a similar game plan to what they did early on against Clemson. You know, I control wouldn't exactly call it, yeah, control the ball and, you know, be, I would, I guess you could say kind of conservative with your um, decision-making. Conservative you know, with the you, tempo, conservative with, you know, not taking too many shots downfield. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, trying to work the edges, work the, the whatever soft part, spots they have on their defense. And, and you know, hopefully by that point, they'll be banged up as they play. You know, they don't have an easy schedule either. So we'll see what happens with their personnel as the season goes on too. Because the one thing that's a constant in the sport is people getting hurt and things changing. So, um, you know, performance issues, all kinds of stuff. So, you just never know what's going to happen between now and then. But I think right now they got to focus on beat Duke this week, take care of your business. You know, you're uh, one and one against teams you're expected to beat straight up right now. So, um, cause they were, Pitt was a favorite in the last week, right? Yeah. So yeah, they're one and one this year. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, they're two and one against, I'm sorry, they're one and one as a fa favorite this year because they beat Kennesaw and lost to NIU, right? So move that to two and one, get into the Virginia game, see what, what's going on with the, the who's, that place that's been <laughs> maybe like the most cursed place for Georgia Tech football of any any place they play other than playing Georgia and Atlanta. Um, and, you know, they play uh, Louisville this week. That'll be an interesting game to kind of watch. Uh, that game's should be on after – I think that's might be the 3 o'clock game, so you could probably catch that after the Tech-Duke game, at least most of it, on ACC Network. And then, um, you know, see what happens. Get into that bowl picture. I want to see Georgia Tech in some bowl projections. Like, 
this is uh, exhausting. Not, you know, like, you know, co- covering a team that's struggling like this is, is tough and it's tough on the fans and it's tough on recruiting. And, you know, ultimately that's the lifeblood of your program. If you're Jeff Collins is recruiting and player development, and you got to show both of those things at this point, and you got to win some to, to get the second part of it, to get the recruiting piece of it. So I'd like to share a word with you now about our sponsor section 103 who bring you the best georgia tech clothes out there original interesting clothing with the official tech gold and the official word mark and things that are hard to find anywhere else i think it's the best uh best tech apparel you can find on the interwebs it's like the stuff that coaches wear it's really cool you get the atl logo that they have um, all the stuff super comfortable, super cool, and they even have youth sizes and women's clothes, and and are constantly adding things. I think uh, the guy who does it, I've gotten to know a little bit through uh, social media, and he just does an amazing job. Jackets Online uh, subscribers can get a discount of ten percent off their first order by using the code Jackets Online, all caps, and check out section103.com. Um, great website. They have all kinds of cool stuff. And, and, you know, people for years have been asking me for cool Georgia Tech designs, unique things. Um, and even the coaches are starting to wear that stuff. You know, Andrew Thacker is wearing uh, one of the shirts at practice, which I thought was really cool and something I pointed out, not knowing that it was one of these designs. So check out our sponsor, Section 103. Great, great company. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about the big news of the week, which was Zach Pyron committing to Georgia Tech and getting their quarterback finally after um, a really bizarre, like, let's see, almost, I would say, what, almost 12-month process from maybe when we thought <laughs> there was going to be a quarterback commit to to now. I feel like we thought at the, some point in the fall last year we might see it happen. And then just a lot of weird things went down. And, and really, quite frankly, as you saw across college football, there was a lot of hesitation and a lot of evaluation going on because kids had not been on campuses. And the whole quarterback class across the country was way more slow than it normally is. We're like, you know, a year out or like right now is when you'd usually start to see the, the next class, the 23 in this case, start to commit. And you're not you got, all that's changed dramatically. So. Um, Kind of, kind of walk, I guess, everybody through kind of what's going on with that quarterback recruiting and and kind of Gosh. where they're at in in the the PG version of it. How about that? Well, I mean, obviously, it started with MJ Morris. Um, the Pace Academy situation wasn't ideal for MJ. It wasn't ideal for his skill set. Wasn't ideal for his recruitment. It wasn't really ideal in any type of way in terms of um you know helping him and uh, you know georgia tech made a, a strong impression early on him um primary recruiter tushar choice did a, a great job there for quite some time uh, just ended up you know there was a lot, a lot of communication um some some things went one way one thing went another and, um, you know, MJ thought he was going to have a spot at Florida State. 
MJ didn't have a spot at Florida State. That's still my favorite part of that story was at I'll break in here and we're at Rivals Camp and <laughs> MJ Morris tells our colleague Woody Womack all about how Florida State's now his leader and stuff. He Russell and I had literally just interviewed him. And oh, it was it was Michael from Warchant. Was it Michael from Warchant? I thought they told Yeah. Me. Oh, was it Michael? Okay, my bad. Yeah. So he yeah. tells Michael this and and Langston was like Michael Langston was like, huh? And then they immediately got a commitment like the next morning from uh who is it? Uh Duffy. Yeah, AJ Duffy. Um, so clearly uh whatever happened did was not what MJ Morris expected in that case. And then he ends up at NC State. That's sort of the it was Georgia Tech, NC State, and Nebraska. And then Georgia Tech pulled back a little bit and he ended up at kind of going to NC State, it seemed like by default. And then, you know, in the meantime, they're working AJ Swan, uh, who's been committed to Maryland forever. AJ and I think his family were upset with the the timing of the Georgia Tech offer and that they came in late. Um, and that kind of screwed that up because you know, Loxley did the right thing, which was saying, Hey, we were here first. We want you. We made you a priority, blah, blah, blah. And they were able to kind of hold him together. Uh, and AJ continues to get recruited by other schools too. Then we had also the Tevin Carter saga over the summer after the MJ Morris stuff. Right. Yeah. And that was peculiar how that went down is Russell had a literally a commitment interview. Uh, story and our admin for two weeks yeah two weeks two and a half um I, I still have it in my notes on my notes app. and then randomly he committed to memphis one day then he wanted to reopen and then he re i mean it was you know whatever so so what happened with tevin this is um more inside baseball here so tevin was committed to memphis tevin watched um georgia tech Against Clemson, he watched Georgia Tech. Um, against NIU, um, was really confused about the quarterback situation. Literally, was texting me every maybe every twenty minutes during Georgia Tech games. <laughs> what's wrong with Jeff Sims? Why isn't he playing? I said, Well, he's he's recovering from an injury. That's all. I, that's all I can tell you. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, okay. And then you know the the situation with Memphis, um, starting a, a freshman quarterback. And, you know, him being, I wouldn't say entrenched in a bad situation in Memphis, but um, there are people close to, to Tevin who were hoping he was going to have the chance to, to, to leave for, for school. Like his, sure, his go somewhere best else. friend, yeah. yeah, Chris Morris did, who went to Texas A&M. Um, but he, he didn't have any other um, real, I guess, tangible, or I guess you could call it an August 1st official offer. Um, other than offer, the, yeah. yeah, other than the, the Georgia Tech offer, which he, you know, spurned when he chose Memphis originally. And, and that really kind of kind of dried up on him. Um, you know, Tevin reached out to the to the Georgia Tech staff and expressed interest and um, wanted to get to the I believe it was a UNC game. And that was the game where the quarterback they got committed this week, Zach, Zach Pyron um, was visiting 
and logistics didn't end up working out for Tevin. Tevin had a funeral to go to and, and everything. Um, but, but that was from what I have gathered and, and learned, that was more of a, a, you can come to the game and visit more than a, we're going to host you at Bobby Dodd before the game. We're going to talk to you. We're going to recruit you. We're going to, you know, push for a flip, that kind of stuff. It didn't really seem that that was um, in the cards. Um, no. And, and the thing with Zach is that sort of worked out perfectly for them. And this was something I kind of figured we, you would see happen as things kind of change. As you talked about, even with Tevin Carter's situation in Memphis and you have Seth Hennigan kind of win the job there the quarterback situation is so dependent upon who's playing and how, what, you know, what class they're in, in a lot of ways, particularly with the upper echelon quarterbacks in the class, which Zach, Tevin, AJ Swan, MJ Morris, I would all put them in that category, basically guys who are five, seven or four star guys, um, or, you know, like those level of guys who expect to come in and compete within two years for starting job. Right. Like that's, you know, they expect to be maybe the backup year one and then play. And, um, you know, Zach comes open because of the Baylor situation and, you know, reopens his thing, has, you know, kind of a flurry of quick action um, with, you know, offers including Georgia Tech. And and it was sort of a quick romance, worked out well. Family knew Atlanta really well. It's close, a a lot closer than going to Waco. Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, or that, that ended up being the or, big thing for him. Yeah, and that's something the distance to home because you know some some situations kind of developed throughout the last several weeks. I can't really get into to details, but um, you know Zach and his family. You know Zach made the decision that he wanted to you know, stay closer to home, and, and that was really um, where things opened up with his recruitment. Um, I know there was, you know, a little bit of talk from from others about, you know, potentially the the uneasiness of the Big Twelve or, um, you know, the the Baylor investigation. There were there were all kinds of different, you know, scenarios and and thoughts that I kept seeing posted online. But but for him, it was number one was about you know staying closer to home and, you know, like you said, he he got the flurry of offers from Arkansas, from Vanderbilt, from Georgia Tech, um, Kansas State started hitting him up again. Um, But I mean, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's 11 hours to drive from Pinson, Alabama to to Waco. And it's two, two and a half hour, two hour, two and a half hours from his house to Bobby Dodd Stadium, basically. Like, it's hard to quantify that, especially with a quarterback. Every quarterback I know, their families are super invested in watching them play every week. It's a a lot different than a guy that's a corner or, you know, a offensive linemen or something every quarterback i've covered their parents come to every single game pretty much like that they can they're you know all in right you see them they cut to them on tv all the time in the stands right the starting quarterback's family is always at the games it's 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 you know if you're in the big 12 and you're going to you know their closest game's going to be central florida in a couple of years you know like or west virginia or something or or Waco like that ain't good like if you're in you're paying a fortune to travel and that's something that ultimately comes up a lot with with recruiting is like I think a lot of these kids and this is why you see a lot of kids hit the portal that go far away for school after six months or a year the reality sets in if you're not like super happy or like super independent 
it is really hard to be five, six, seven, eight hours away from home or 10 hours away from home. So one thing you can hop in the car in a few hours, be home. It's another thing when it's, you know, you're in Waco and it's all day drive to get home or a really expensive flight because it's not cheap to fly in and out of Waco. You got to drive to Houston, fly to Houston. And so to me, like all that stuff, I think, I think the reality of these things start to set in and, um, you know, in Zach's case too, his family, like, you know, his dad works in Atlanta sometimes like it worked really, it works out really well. It's about as good a spot as he could find other than one of the Alabama schools, you know, to, or Mississippi schools, like in terms of just his geography. So I think it worked out really well for them. I thought it, they would find somebody like this, um, you know, and, and the reality of the situation is it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens even with the tech quarterback situation moving forward with, with Jordan Yates, what he decides to do in the off season, um, as he's getting ready to graduate, you know, if Trad Beatty comes back. So I'll, I'll be really curious to see kind of what the room looks like a year from now too. And, and Zach could be in a situation where, you know, he finds himself the number two quarterback and, you know, immediately after he gets on campus, who knows, is he coming in early Russell? I don't remember. Um, yes. Okay. So that was the other reason why he had to get it done now because you need at least six, eight weeks to, to process all that stuff to get enrolled into a school. Um, yeah. To be ready for, for January. So um, it's, you know, and it's been impressive. They, what they've done without a quarterback in this class too, just getting their skill guys committed and locked in. Cause I think a lot of times the quarterbacks are sort of the linchpins of that. And really the last two classes, Georgia tech hasn't had that because you've had, um, you know, Chaden, who was out in California, he did a real good job on social media and stuff, but he was in California. He doesn't like, he's not super tight with the guys around here. And then you had um, this long gap here and then you have Zach come in. So, yeah. Um, I, you know, I think it's been impressive. It's sort of, you know, for DJ Moore or uh, uh, Bonner or uh, Antonio Martin, I'm sure they were kind of like wondering what the hell, you know, a little bit and like wondering who's going to be the quarterback in the class. So I think those guys, yeah. you know, as we talked to them, were as fired up as anyone um, offensive line, even, even like Jaron Willis was fired up, you know, like those guys, they wanted to see talent attracts talent and they want to have talent. And I think getting a quarterback right now is, a, you know, we talked about in the first segment all about winning and those things, but getting the quarterback and having someone that, can be the leader of your recruiting class is really important too. And, you know, I think Zach seems like might be the type of guy that would, it would take to that, um, you know, taking some leadership there and making sure that to keep the class together, because this is the time of year too, when everyone tries to poach too, like as scholarships come available, guys leaving the portal, there's going to be poaching attempts all over the place. And, you know, we've, we've seen it with the Willis situation for, you know, really the last six months, uh, you he'll, know, he'll be on an OV this weekend. Yeah. So like, uh, to me, I think it was really important to get, to get Zach in there and get him get someone locked in for Georgia tech's recruiting. Yeah. I'd, I would agree with that. I think, you know, the, the timing was good too. Um, like you said, things developed really quickly. Uh, he went on the visit, got to see the, the game at the bends was really impressed. Um, but, really from from what i gather from from all my conversations with zach and and his family and ever and others involved in his recruitment 
he was really impressed by the the offensive mind of Dave Patton. I know there's a lot of criticism on the the message board from from week to week on his his calls, but, but I mean, Zach but the reality just, is, Russell, like every team I've ever covered has been like that. Whether it's you know here Georgia, where other schools have covered, like everyone thinks at least one of the coordinators is a moron um, or isn't good at their job or whatever. Like it's just a consistent theme and. I think with Dave, it's been hard to tell just because of his job's been hard because the offensive line situation, you know, everybody talks about running backs and the quarterbacks. Offensive line was the thing that was the nightmare um, to try to figure out uh, for, for you know, this situation. And, and Brett Key had really a thankless job trying to, to sort it out. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of what it starts to look like as he – you know, you've seen already what it's like when you just have a, um, uh, you know, a when you just have a, um, uh, you know, a slot receiver that can catch the ball and do things with his body a little bit differently than just a pure speed guy. You have three guys now that can really catch the football. So to me, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how this offense continues to evolve this year as, uh, you know, Georgia Tech takes that next leap, whatever it is, with, with his offense. And whether it works or not, you know, and I think we really dove headlong into what's been going on with the red zone and all those things, but kids really seem to respect his brain and like what he talks about. And and every quarterback you and I talk to, that's something that comes up over and over um, again. Yeah, I agree. So it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what happens here going forward. You know, I think that, you know, what's left, right? Uh, you know, another offensive lineman and, you know, some or corners two. or two, yeah, corners. Um, I'll be curious to see with that offensive line if they try to hold something for transfers again. Because I, stu- I still kind of think they need to take a transfer guard in the next class. Um, uh, you know, defensive linemen, do they take an end? Do they not take it? Do they take – Zach's teammate BJ, um, you know that'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think they would have, they wouldn't have offered him if they wouldn't take him. No, no, I'm just saying, like, does that go down? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, corner safety, can they flip Will Hardy? There's a lot of interesting sort of scenarios. Which corner do they flip? Because basically, most of their corners are all kids that are committed to other schools, so that's interesting. I think it's going to be, and then you're going to see whatever comes up down the line too. Um, and then in the portal, I think you look at guard and linebacker, the two spots that I would say that I expect them to be active in and along with a big bodied wide receiver to complement Leo Blackburn and, and PJ Harris and some of the bigger receivers they have, they need another guy that can go get it. That's a little bit on that bigger side. That's maybe an older body. And then obviously the APB, which we've talked about a lot as well. And Russell's getting ready to go see one of them uh, pretty soon. So that'll be an interesting uh, both Russell and I will be on the road next week, actually. So that'll be interesting with the, the buy. So there's some cool stuff coming on jackets online as we uh, start to, to, to hit the road a little bit. I think there's a lot of hesitation from both of us at the beginning of the year because the amount of COVID cancellations that were going on across high school, we didn't want to start traveling and then having games get pulled out from underneath us. So we've kind of waited to make sure things stabilize a little bit, which they seem to have, you don't see as many cancellations now. 
Yeah. And, uh, uh, we feel pretty good about the, the few trips that we have lined up here for the rest of the season. And um, yeah, I think excited. I'm a little bummed. There's not anything for me to go see actually this weekend at Duke. Um, I thought they would have somebody like at least one target up there for like a Friday night game, but uh, there's not really anything in the 22 or 23 class for Georgia tech up in the, uh, in the triangle this, uh, this year. So that's a little bit of a bummer, but uh, you know, overall, I think, um, you know, bidding, getting the quarterback was big, gets them back into the top 30. Uh, you know, we'll see where they finish. And it depends, I think a lot too, on how they finish the season. Cause I think there's still some interesting pieces in play at other schools too. Yeah. Like you said, you know, the, um, the getting it back into the top 30 was big, um, especially with the amount of commits they have. You know, there, there are people above them who have significantly more. Well, like Virginia there. Tech and Boston College, I think, are in the 20s. Yeah. And Georgia Tech has 16, and that's a math equation. So if people don't know, with our rivals formula and then 24-7 and whatever else, they're all based on basically a block of 20 commits, like as a base class. So um, anytime you're under that, you get penalized for being under it just a little bit mathematically because it's, a, you know, it's just a big math formula basically of adding up a bunch of points. So, you know, Georgia Tech's at 28 with 16. Um, I'll pull this up right now. Let's see. Um, you know, if you look at who's above them directly, you know, Cincinnati's at 27, they have 19, you have Iowa State with 18, and then you get to 20 and 19, that's BC and Virginia Tech, and they each have over 20, they're at 21 and 22, respectively. Right. And, you know, Michigan State's at 20, so, and then you kind of run into the powers, like the Florida and the A&Ms and LSUs and Ohio States that just have a bunch of, you know, four and five-star guys, so that that's where the formula works out for them too. And this is going to move quite a bit, I think between now and the end of the season too, as, as you know, the portal heats up and, and guys, you know, start to commit the ones that are doing the hat shows uh, or the ones that are doing the, you know, waiting to take visits in December or even the guys that are, um, you know, still just haven't made their decisions. So yeah, like Azaria. Yeah. Azaria uh, continues to hang out there and uh, you know, watch his two brothers play big roles for Georgia tech, uh, every week, which probably is not hurting their cause at all. Um, watching, you know, some of the other schools not maybe play their best football either. So it's going to be interesting to see what, uh, what happens with all of that. That's for sure. I think that was the first time Florida lost to Kentucky since I was born, isn't it? Yeah, it was uh, 86 or 87 or something like that. It was, um, yeah, I was, I was it's sort there. of staggering. Like, can you imagine like if, like and they had they had they've beaten them I think twice you know in the last couple of years, and that's like um, they had gone a really long stretch without beating them in, in football and it was like was the first time. Um, let me pull it up because I remember watching one of the games and Kentucky managed to like really screw it up. So they beat them in eighteen, and when they beat them in twenty eighteen, it was the first time since nineteen eighty seven they had beat them. That's what it was. So can you imagine like that's a you know like if Georgia Tech played you know Pitt and couldn't beat Pitt for you know thirty years like that's unbelievable. 
Um, it was 1986 that was their last win, uh, win in Lexington. They won 10 to three. And that was when I think Florida was on probation from the Charlie Pell stuff. So I don't, I don't even know how clean a win that was. You have to go back. I'm not a real expert on 80s SEC football. So it's a lot of my wheelhouse. But yeah, they beat them in. But, but it's funny is like if you go back and look, most of the game, I remember they like 2017, they lost a heartbreaker in Lexington by one point. Um, they've had a lot of really close losses to Florida and managed to, and then you go back to like when urban was there and they're beating them like 63 to five. So, uh, you know, smart stoops is going to done a good job there. He's a little bit of a curmudgeon, but, um, you know, you can't, he's done a hell of a job at a really hard job at Kentucky, um, turning that around and, you know, kudos to him. The, uh, he really seemed to turn around after Paul Johnson took him out to the woodshed in the Gator Bowl uh, in 2016. Uh, and one of the most entertaining uh, fan slash media things I've ever covered because their fans, you would have thought it was Coach Cal coaching them against Georgia Tech in a basketball game, how confident the Kentucky fans were before that Gator Bowl. And then they couldn't get off the field, man. It was hilarious. And my favorite part was like they had complained about like the cut blocks injuring their guys or whatever. And the one guy who got seriously injured in that game, his he tried his teammate tried to do something stupid, and he took like a Kentucky player took out another Kentucky player uh, on a play like trying to I think he was trying to avoid a cut block or something down in the red zone. And I just remember laughing because it was like Mark Soups was flipping out on the sideline. Then they showed the replay and it was his own dude hit him instead yeah. of the Georgia tech player. And then I think Andy McCollum got in like a shouting match with Mike's Mark Stoops on the sideline and fun times, man. Um, hopefully we'll get to cover some bowl action again sometime soon on jackets online. Lord knows uh, I would love a trip to San Diego or El Paso or hell, even Birmingham. For you say bowl, you man. would love a trip to El Paso. Really? Dude. I love El Paso, man. El Paso is awesome. They got a great steakhouse out there. It's like on a ranch. I think it's called a cattleman's ranch. Awesome experience you have. Uh, the food out there is phenomenal. You have like, it's in the mountains. So it's super cool. The Juarez part's a little sketchy, but I went and spent time in New Mexico. It snowed um, the second time they played down there uh, when they played uh, USC and beat them. Uh, and Blink Kiffin had the black eye. And uh, the SID for USC got mad at me because I was taking a picture of Lane Kiffin because he took his sunglasses off in the presser for a second. You could see the black eye. And I was like, oh, I got to tweet this out to my buddy who covers USC who wasn't at the game. And I took a picture of it. And they got mad at me. I was like, I'm taking it. I'm in a press conference taking pictures. Like, what are you getting pissed about? Like, tell your guy not to be stupid and get a black eye. Uh, you know, like, is it? So, yeah, that's uh, El Paso is awesome, man. San Diego would be cool. Boston would be great for me. But right now I'd settle for Birmingham. Anything would be good just to get the bowl thing, get them in the right direction, uh, you know, have some momentum for the program, for our site more than anything uh, at the end of the day. And, and you know, I, you know, the fans deserve something. The kids deserve to you know, have an opportunity to do that. The extra practice always helps. And I think it would be, it would be entertaining to watch Jeff do bowl week prep too. I, I feel like Jeff at a bowl site would be pretty entertaining. 
Now, the way that Georgia Tech does their early enrollees, would they be on campus in time to participate in bowl practice or not? In the past, no, because uh, school doesn't start till January. But it, that's like one of those weird gray areas, so it might depend on when the bowl game is. Gotcha. But in the past, they have not brought them um, on bowl trips. But obviously, that was all under Coach Johnson. So um, yeah, and they would have you know he had an early enrollees, but um, yeah, uh, I, I know some places have played them, particularly if the, I don't know if those schools were on the quarters or what. But yeah, there's been some some different kind of funky kids like playing in bowl games, which I always find interesting too. A good question though, Russell. Uh, any final thoughts like going into uh, you know this weird week I wonder how we're going to do the podcast next week with you traveling too we'll have to figure that out we'll have to do it a day early or something um, still be here Thursday okay cool so a little inside baseball there for you Russell's heading on a road trip for Jackets Online uh, to cover something um, that's right but yeah so uh, you know I think, I think the biggest thing for me I'm interested in seeing is if, because uh, you know, Sims put up some some record numbers uh, last week. You know, following his early start and his struggle, and it'll be interesting to see if you know that part that part carries over. I mean, Duke secondary isn't aren't any world beaters, but you know that they they have shown that they can get to the quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see you know how he adjusts and if he can avoid that that early slip up, that early mistake. And really just, you know, again, what receiver is going to step up? You know, if if um, McGowan is back, that's great. But if not, you know, who's going to step up in his place? You know, last week, Ruth- Malik Rutherford played well. Uh, you know, McCollum got in the end zone for the first time. Heck, he, I saw, I think it was yesterday, he even got to meet with the media. So that was pretty cool for him. Yeah, I think it's going to be, um, you know, interesting. Duke's defense is uh... – not exactly been stellar. I think they're 101st in the country right now. And they, you know, it's not like they've played. Yeah, Carolina is the only team with a real pulse they've played. They lost to Charlotte, who's, uh, by the way, two spots behind them in total defense. And um, it's going to be interesting because I wonder, too, at one point, if Jeff's throwing the ball like that, do they back off the run game? And do you finally see Gibbs and Mason and, and Dante get to eat a little more too? Cause right now you've had teams just key on them unbelievably and made Georgia tech throw the football. And that was pit strategy, which was somewhat effective. Um, you know, what happens there? Uh, you know, what, <laughs> who's out, who travels, who doesn't, which is always the, the big thing that I'm kind of looking at every week. Uh, you know, those things are going to be important, I think for this game and, and, to, to see where, where Georgia Tech is and how much progress they've made in terms of being consistent on offense and defensively, can they bounce back from a really poor poor outing all, over, all the way across, especially in the back end and, and uh, with offensive line uh, penetration against the defensive line getting penetration against the offensive line. So a lot to think about. Um, you know, they've shown they can play really well. Can they show that again? Uh, that's, I would like to see another defensive performance like they had against Carolina or Clemson or um, Kennesaw State where they really assert themselves defensively and it takes pressure off the offense as well. Any Jeff to, to be smart with the football too, um, which is, you know, continue, it's going to be a continual question until he shows that he, he doesn't turn the ball over. So 
you know, eating the ball, not throwing into a defender with his hands up, those things. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, being smart and getting down, um, you know, the, there was a play. He had one play game. where he slid for no, like where he needed to move the sticks, right, to get yeah. a first down at, at a key point in the game where they were trying to get some momentum back. And then right. he had and another then, play where he didn't slide. Yeah. Well, then the one play he slid, he got hit still. And they didn't flag it, which was – I like I was – literally said out loud i was like how did it, like he was in his slide before the guy left his feet and they didn't fly it was quite a piss poor job by the officials in uh, that game i don't i don't quite understand what's going on with the acc refs this year but it's been pretty uh disappointing to say the least um and you know i guess they handle whatever they do internally but uh i feel like uh we need like a PFF for officials, like um, yeah, like that that umpire account for MLB where yeah, they yeah, put yeah. out reports for every single. I don't think that would be very uh, kind to the referees, though. No, you would, and because basically every fan base argues every week that their their league has the worst officials. Yeah. Um, like I had somebody tweet at me when I was complaining about the officiating in the pick game on Twitter, just because it was pretty galling at times. Um, and they said the SEC officials were worse, and I was like, "I was like, I haven't seen that, but I mean, I did see the Memphis uh, Mississippi State game where they had <laughs> SEC officials, and what happened in that game? So, totally possible that he's right. Um, yeah, I just think it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, what happens there, what happens with the uh, old coach, Coach Cut, who's on the back nine right now." You know how that Duke team plays. Can they kept corral Mateo Duran? All so many things. Um, and then next week we'll be talking about the bye week and hopefully a three and three Georgia Tech team. Um, well, Russell Johnson and Philip this has been the Jackets Online podcast.